from the Los Angeles Times, this is The Envelope, the podcast, your ultimate guide to award season. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Olson. And I'm your other host, Yvonne Villarreal. Every week, our podcast showcases key voices across both TV and film. Mark, it's been a long week for us, or at least for me, moving is no joke. Uh, But how's it going? Like, tell me something exciting happened in your life. Well, this week I had a pretty big occasion, I have to say, that I saw my first movie in a theater since March of 2020, so like in 15 months, and it was just genuinely a transcendent experience. Mark, I'm losing my mind just hearing you say these words. Tell me everything. Let me live vicariously. I mean, it's a movie that I saw under very, very strict embargo, so I really can't actually say anything about the movie that I saw. I mean, it was great. It was a small private screening room. There were only a couple other people in the room. So it was just me, like, communing with the screen and the sound and, like, just everything that you're like, oh, right, this is why I've dedicated my life to, you know, moving picture images is, like, because this is just, like, the best. Like, it's so immersive and there's just nothing like it. So for me personally, movies very much, I think, are back. I'm so happy for you. And I can't wait to experience it again for myself. No, wait, are you like saving it for a good, for a specific movie? Yes, I'm saving my re-entry to the movie theater world for In the Heights. My friends and I were planning to rent a theater and that will be my first time back. And I'm so excited. I expect it to be a euphoric homecoming. So just be prepared for lots of Instagram stories of just me sitting in a theater chair with a smile on my face. <laughs> you did the interview this week, Yvonne. So who is it that you're talking to? Well, Mark, I spoke with Phoebe Denever, who plays Daphne Bridgerton in the steamy Netflix Regency drama Bridgerton. Everyone and their mother watched it over the holidays. I feel like every Instagram story I saw in the days after its release was just, you know, screenshots of the show and how people couldn't get enough of it. And Phoebe told me that she continues to be overwhelmed in a good way by the response to the show. The fans are just amazing and so sweet and and lovely. Um It's still very surreal that it's hit in that way and that people just love Daphne so much and and feel a kinship with her. And and it's lovely. I I get some lovely feedback. Now, I've watched a little bit of Bridgerton. I haven't watched the whole thing. I think it's the first show Shonda Rhimes has done under her new deal with Netflix. And it's interesting to me how it both is and isn't like the shows that she did at ABC. Yeah, it's the first period drama we've seen from Shondaland, but but the series is very much in keeping with her brand. You know, it's sexy, it's absorbing. An episode will leave you in a spot where you just want to watch one more before bed. And, you know, the cast is racially diverse. And that has a lot to do with the fact that its creator and showrunner, Chris Van Dusen, went to the School of Rhymes. You know, he previously wrote on her other series, Scandal and Grey's Anatomy. I spoke with him recently and, you know, he was talking about how he was obsessed with the 1995 BBC production of Pride and Prejudice and that moment where Colin Firth is coming out of the lake with the white shirt and you know, he wanted to see a period piece that went further than that. Oh, Mr. Darcy. Uh, Well, I can't wait to hear your conversation with Phoebe. That's going to be coming up after this quick break. 
For your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Variety Special and all other categories, the HBO original series David Byrne's American Utopia brings the Talking Heads frontman's critically acclaimed Broadway show to HBO in a -a one-of-a-kind film directed by Oscar and Emmy winner Spike Lee. Recorded during its late 2019 to early 2020 run at Broadway's Hudson Theater in New York City, Byrne is joined by an ensemble of 11 musicians, singers, and dancers from around the globe, inviting audiences into a joyous dream world where human connection, self-evolution, and social justice are paramount. Now streaming on HBO Max. Welcome back to The Envelope. Here's Yvonne's conversation with Phoebe Denever. Phoebe, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Bridgerton was released on December 25th. What do you remember about that day? My sister loves Christmas. It's a big deal for her. So I knew that I had to make Christmas about Christmas and not about Bridgerton, or my sister would probably never forgive me, ever. So I remember waking up because my sister woke me up and was like, it's Christmas. And I was like, oh my God, it's 7.55. And Bridgerton was getting released at 8 a.m. And so I remember like running to the TV and my sister being like, fine, we can check it. <laughs> um, so yeah, we we checked it and obviously no one had watched it at that point. I don't know what I was expecting. <laughs> but Christmas was Christmas for us. You know, no one really mentioned it because everyone was doing Christmas things. And it sort of wasn't till the next day. A lot of people watched it on Boxing Day which I don't think you call it Boxing Day in the US, but in the UK, the day after Christmas Day is called Boxing Day. That's the day where when things started coming in and and people started saying that they'd watched a a couple of episodes and and they were enjoying it. So yeah, Boxing Day was the day when things started like, ooh, shaking up. People were actually engaging. (laughs) Did you give your family and friends any ground rules like, okay, you can watch, but please don't watch these specific episodes or please fast forward when you get to this part. Maybe I just lack maturity, but I cannot fathom uh, people I know watching some of those scenes if it were me. Yeah, I gave everyone a heads up. You know, I said, look, there's a few scenes that you might, as my best friend that, I, you know, I've known you since I was nine years old. Maybe you don't want to see me do that. But, you know, some some people can handle it and other people they had a warning they fast forwarded it yeah it was all good well this is a show that netflix says was watched by 63 million households in its first four weeks whatever that actually means and you're still early in your career like what what have you learned about yourself as an actor and as a person from being part of something that has captured the zeitgeist in this way? I think you never really know when something's going to hit. I, I've i been acting since I was, professionally since I was 14. Um, and obviously nothing has hit in the way that Bridgerton did. So I think every role I take on, I, I just try and focus on the work. And then what it will be, it will be. And it, it takes on like a new life once it's released out into the world. We have no control of that as an actor. And with Bridgerton, it was just, 
It was a real, honestly, a huge surprise and a delight to see how many people really engaged with the characters. Because, you know, when you're in it and you're making it, you're not really thinking about that. You're just thinking about how do I become this character and how how do we make it relatable and interesting to watch? But you never really think about who's going to watch it or how many people. It was such a delight and a surprise to see how many people engaged with it in that way. Was there anything you weren't prepared for? I was prepared for nothing. <laughs> I guess losing your anonymity is, is something that I think you can't prepare for. It's not a normal thing <laughs> to go through. So that, I would say, yeah. I know you've said before that you weren't familiar with uh, Julia Quinn's novels. When you were cast and you did get around to reading, did you find that you were picturing yourself as Daphne while reading? Yes, because I'm pretty sure I'd either gotten the role at that point or I was very close or I'd just, I'd just been told I had the chemistry read with reggae. So at that point, yeah, I, I guess I was picturing my, myself as her. But Daphne in the book is is quite different in some ways to Daphne in the script. And she she really takes on a new form in a way in the scripts and the way Chris wrote her. So it was finding the balance of what the readers loved about Daphne and trying to bring that into the show in a, in a new way, I guess. Well, these books are really beloved across the world. The fan base is quite passionate. What's some interesting feedback you've gotten from diehard fans of the book series? Yeah, I'm I'm quite bad at all of that <laughs> because it's very new and weird and strange still. The fans are just amazing and so sweet and and lovely um and it's it's still very surreal that it's hit in that way and that people are just love Daphne so much and and feel a kinship with her and and yeah it's just it's lovely I, I get some lovely feedback and it's just nice to know she's she's been seen <laughs> you've actually done a few period dramas but what interested you in exploring the regency era like what fascinated you about that time I grew up loving Jane Austen and you know and that and that time period in that world I think the most exciting thing about Bridgerton for me was that Shondaland was was involved and and I just knew with Shonda being involved that it would that it would be a new take on Regency and one that we hadn't seen before and bringing this diverse cast and all the women had agency and all of these things that maybe we haven't seen previously in in those stories, I, I just was was what really excited me about the show, getting to see it all in a new light. You know, period romance dramas sometimes feature an intense scene in the rain. And you have one where Daphne tells Simon that she's read his letters to his father and she confesses her love to him as the rain pours down. Tell me what it was like shooting that. Like, what did you quickly realize about the art of pulling off those kinds of scenes? Well, that was a pretty difficult and extraordinary scene to shoot in many ways because they'd built a whole studio indoors. So everything that you see, the courtyard, was all in, built in a massive studio. So it was all like rain machines coming into the studio. And we knew that, that we only had a few 
a few goes really to get that scene right because you can't rain rain indoors for very long <laughs> without something going wrong we kind of had to couldn't even test the rain machine obviously so had to go straight away and i just remember the, the first take the rain was too heavy so me and reggae were like trying to keep our eyes open whilst we were talking but couldn't so the whole scene we were like oh both of us had our eyes closed <laughs> and then the second time the rain it has to be enough rain for it to read on camera and the second time it didn't read at all so they had to find like a happy medium and at that point you know we only had a couple of goes really it was quite an intense scene to shoot but I think it really added to the drama and excitement of the scene. So um, I'm really happy with how it, how it turned out in the end. More of Yvonne's conversation with Phoebe Denever coming up next. Stay with us. For your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Television Movie and all other categories, the HBO original film Oslo is adapted from the Tony Award-winning play of the same name. Oslo is based on a true story of negotiations between implacable enemies that led to the 1993 Oslo Peace Accords, starring Ruth Wilson as Mona Yule, a Norwegian foreign minister, and Andrew Scott as Tarje Rod Larsen, a Norwegian sociologist and Mona's husband. The film details the secret back-channel talks unlikely friendships, and quiet heroics of a small but committed group of Israelis, Palestinians, and one Norwegian couple. Now streaming on HBO Max. Welcome back to The Envelope. Here's the rest of Yvonne's conversation with Phoebe Denever. She plays Daphne Bridgerton in the steamy Netflix Regency drama Bridgerton. I know our listeners already know this, but just in case, Reggae Jean Page plays Simon Bassett, the Duke of Hastings. And you two share quite a few uh, intimate scenes. And I know you worked with an intimacy coordinator. I'm sort of curious how it felt really thinking about your comfort level in those moments. Had you given much thought about what you were comfortable showing and what you weren't? Like, how was it to check in with yourself about that? Yeah, I mean, what was enlightening and also quite sad about that experience was the fact that I hadn't really been given a voice before that. You don't really get a say as an actor often, or I I hadn't been. And it was a new experience for me to be able to say, actually, I'm I'm not comfortable with that and let's do this. And the fact that it was just such a conversation and that it wasn't a director's vision and that we had to make that happen, it was everyone having a conversation about what we felt comfortable with, what we wanted the audience to see, what story we were telling, and then work within that and make sure that it was safe for everyone, that we were really telling a story as opposed to just having a gratuitous sex scene. Working like that was really new and and it's the only way I will ever work in future because we were all given a voice and we were all heard. I think it created a really a really safe environment in which we were able to flourish and make something that looked really real and and authentic. I mean your first ever scene with reggae 
was in the library when Simon's pleasuring Daphne. Did it feel like being thrown into the deep end, comfort level wise? (laughs) That was my first ever scene. I think Reggae had shot something before then. But yeah, that was my first scene. But because we had been rehearsing for six weeks prior, we already knew the blocking for every intimate scene that we were going to do. So we'd already practiced everything. So it wasn't that weird thing of rocking up on set and being like, right, he's going to do this to you. You're going to love it. It's going to be great action. Like it wasn't that at all. I knew exactly where his hand was going. We'd practice it so many times. It was just funny that that happened to be our first scene. But other than that, it was kind of great to to really just get thrown in at the deep end. And and yeah, it was it was funny. Our intimacy coordinator, one of the things that we had to do, which I don't think I've ever said before, is after every scene, me and Reggae had to high five. It was funny. <laughs> what was that supposed to do? It was like, well done. You know, we're both making something. It's not real. We're both we're both good. Everything's cool. Nice one. We we did it. <laughs> A whole new meaning to the high five. Well, tell me more about working with Reggae. Like, what is he like as a scene partner? What did he bring out in you? Or or how did he challenge or change the way you thought about approaching what was on the page? It was challenging to work with him because I really had to act my socks off in the sense of like, of course he... <laughs> I'm kidding. He's, he's gorgeous. I didn't have to do any acting. Um, it was very easy. <laughs> He really got into that character immediately from day one and and he was just so intentional with everything he did and 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 I think it was just it was great to to work so professionally with someone and really you know we both knew what we wanted out of our characters and out of the relationship and um we were both a big fan of the book, so we were really on the same page with everything, no pun intended. Yeah, it was just a really fun dynamic on set. I think we both brought such different energies to the characters, which really came out. Yeah, it was great. It was great working with Reggae. What did you want out of Daphne? There were a few things. I wanted her to feel relatable, even when maybe on the page she wasn't. You know, this is someone that's very privileged and in many ways. And I just, I really wanted her to feel relatable and I wanted her to feel empowered as the show goes on and that you really feel like she's empowering herself and I wanted to get across that thing of female pleasure and female desire which I don't think we see enough those were my things and and me and Reggae both had different conversations about how how you know how he wanted Simon to be and it was a really good working dynamic Well, the thing about being on a TV series that people are obsessed with and watch repeatedly is people notice the weirdest things. And I don't know if you've seen this or not, but there was a whole Twitter thread about your neck acting. Has this been brought to your attention? Yes. (laughs) What can I say about that? Uh, (laughs) I think a lot is like, the costumes and how like uh, the corsets would sort of pull you back and how sort of restricted you felt in them. And also just the anxiety of like, she's like constantly having to be this like perfect, well put together person. That's not an easy thing. And I think it goes back to that wanting her to feel relatable and 
just because she's turning up looking a certain way. I mean, particularly that scene in, in episode three where she's walking down the stairs. And for me to shoot, that was terribly uncomfortable. So I, I imagine for her, it was the same. And, and there's a lot of pressure on you. And so that was just, I guess, my way unintentionally of holding a lot of nerves and anxiety. Well, having become acquainted with romance novels through this series, what do you think non-readers of the genre get wrong about it? Um, I've never been like a romance reader either. So it was sort of a, an awakening for me. What do they get wrong about it? I mean, I guess that it's gratuitous maybe, or that it's, I don't know. You know, romance hasn't really been done in a TV series in that way before either. And so I, I hope there are more shows that bring that romance and fun. I think people want to watch it and engage with it, as especially the female audience, but also the male audience. I mean, you know, not just women loved the show. There were men that, that loved the show. So I think that's probably the, the perception that may have wrongly been around before that just that it was just a female thing. Well, Reggae caused a stir recently when he announced he wouldn't be returning for the second season. Did you worry Daphne's arc, whatever form it takes as focus shifts to other characters, would be diminished by his departure since the chemistry between your characters has been so much a part of Daphne's journey? I always knew and we always knew how the show was going to go. And I've said this before, but the readers of the books and the fans of the books know that every season, every book is is based on a different romantic story and their happy endings and that's the lovely thing about them the books so it definitely came as less of a shock to me and people involved and now we get to pass the baton on to to Johnny and, and see his journey unfold and Daphne gets to be part of the family dynamic and you get to see her as a mother and and so yeah her love journey I guess that was season one and and now it's Anthony's turn it's something that it's quite unique about the show and quite what makes it so special in a way is that every season is a different, has a different focus. And it means we get to explore more characters and, and see different forms of love, which I think is really important. In addition to season two of Bridgerton, we'll also be seeing you portray pioneering ceramic artist Clarice Cliff in the movie The Color Room, what struck you about her story and what resources helped you prepare for the role? What struck me about the story is that it's a woman that came from such a working class environment in the 20s. There were no opportunities in a way to do that. I mean, what she did was so incredible that she was able to become an artist and really take control of a factory that was occupied mostly by men. And she came in and she she really was a pioneer. And she said, let's sell to to women directly when nothing really was. Everything was everything was advertised to men in the, at that time, apart from makeup. So Clarice had this vision and and defeated all the odds to make it happen, which is a story that I don't think we see enough of and I thought was really important and interesting one to tell. And you are back on the Bridgerton set, right, for season two? I'm back, yes. It's like so lovely to see everyone and again we have like the same crew as well which is lovely and also see so many new faces which is going to add another layer, another interesting exciting layer to season two so 
yeah, it's been wonderful getting back. Different, but in the best way. What's an obscure clue that will mean nothing now, but will mean something once we've watched season two? Um, wickets. <laughs> I am going to spend the rest of my day just trying to figure this out. Well, Phoebe, before we wrap, we like to ask our guests what shows or films they've been watching during this time. Tell me, what are your picks? I've just finished a film and I don't tend to watch stuff when I'm filming, but I'm back on the watching films thing now. So I'm just getting back into it. There's a few things I really want to see. I really want to see Kate Winslet's new new show. Mare of Easttown. Mare of Easttown. I really want to watch that. I've heard great things about it. Um, I recently saw Sound of Metal, which I thought was brilliant. Love Riz Ahmed um, and Olivia Cook. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait to binge some things now. I have a bit of time, so yeah, I'm going to binge some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Very well. Well, Phoebe, it was such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yvonne, I mean, the cast of Bridgerton have just become stars so quickly. What stuck out with you from that conversation with Phoebe? You know, I was trying to wrap my head around it myself before my conversation with her because I can't imagine what it's like to sort of just be catapulted into that kind of fame. I mean, when people start writing about who you're dating, it must be such a weird thing to navigate. But, you know, she seems to be handling it well. I was really struck by hearing her talk about working with an intimacy coordinator. We can sort of get hung up on the steamy scenes and the choreography that went into them, but I thought her response to how it made her really sort of take stock of what her comfort level was was quite illuminating. And then before we sign off today, what what have you been watching this week? Mark, you know what I just realized? We never had a chance to discuss the mayor of Easttown finale. It's not old news to me yet. Um, can, can we discuss? That's fine by me. I, I certainly watched the show. A lot of people, like, it felt like there was maybe, like, a twist on a twist or, like, one sort of, like, narrative step too many. What did you kind of think of where the show ended? Well, I won't speak for others, but I found the ending so satisfying. You know, I like that the twist didn't feel cheap and that in the end, it was just as much a family drama as it was a murder mystery. The way it sort of gave attention to the relationships between parents, particularly mothers and their children and the twists and turns those relationships can take throughout the course of one's life. I really found that um, powerful. But it was so interesting how it was like written by this dude and yet it sort of like secretly reveals itself in the last half hour to have been about the like the trials of motherhood and how difficult it is across generations. Like I, I found that sort of sequence of scenes where women were talking introspectively about themselves, sometimes apologizing to other people, sometimes talking about forgiving themselves, like... That was like a sequence of scenes that I really had not seen before. It was sort of wild, as you said, that it came after you thought things had been wrapped up. And then for that to have kind of been what the show was heading towards all along, like in some ways, like that was the twist. Yeah, the way it moves past the crime and the consequences of it and ends on a more 
psychological and emotional note with Mare mustering the courage to, you know, revisit the site of her son's death, it was really moving in a way I wasn't expecting. If only we had some mechanism for you to talk to television show creators, Yvonne. Well, Mark, I I know you've been busy at the theaters watching new stuff that you can't talk about, so I won't ask what you've been watching this week. But you're back in the hosting chair next week with another special guest, so tell us who you're speaking with. I spoke with actor John Boyega. He recently won a Golden Globe for playing police officer Leroy Logan in Red, White, and Blue, which is one film in Steve McQueen's Small Axe anthology series. And, you know, I think this past year was really transformative for John, both personally and professionally. And in our conversation, he reflected on his place in the world. I was like, how can actors be controversial? They're faking the whole thing anyway, and we know it. We kind of know the deal, right, when we're going into the into the theater. But with, with policing, like, you don't have that slow burn. I'm sure Leroy had to figure out that this is the system, this is what to expect, and know what to expect, and then I'm going to have to try and maneuver it. Whether thankfully with acting, I, I guess um, maybe there's much more of a slow realization of the challenges you probably will face. The Envelope, the podcast, is hosted by me, Mark Olson, and by my colleague, Yvonne Villarreal. Our producer is Asal Asanapur, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress Swanson. Our audio engineer is Mike Heflin, and special thanks to Mike for making our theme song. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.